our Old Testament lesson. It's from Genesis chapter 11 and 12. And actually picks up the very beginning of Abraham's story. Which looked at Saul and Paul. Well, here we have Abraham before he's even called Abraham. He's known as Abram. It's going to be found on page 9 in your pew Bibles or page 17 in large print. Before we read, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for all your many gifts. We thank you for the gift that we have of your word. It reveals to us who you are. It reveals to us who we are. The life, uh, what it means to have life apart from you. And what it means to have life with you. Lord, we pray that this morning that you would open our eyes, open our ears, open our minds, soften our hearts. That we would hear your message for us today. And that we would be emboldened by your spirit to share your message with the world. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis chapter 11, verses starting verse 27 and going through chapter 12, verse 3. This is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Turning then to John 20. Verses 19 through 23. should be found on page 881. In our pew Bibles are 1686 in the large print. This is after Jesus had been crucified, but also after he'd been raised again. Because on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. 
And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Then turning to Acts, chapter 2, because we're still looking at Pentecost, and beyond. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Should be found on page 883. Your pew Bibles are 1691 in large print. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were, staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They've had too much wine. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we are actually continuing a series on five shifts that the church needs to make. And we are using Pentecost, that original Pentecost Sunday, as sort of our grounding point, uh, but also sort of our takeoff point as we look at each of these five things. And these five shifts... As we've been saying, these are five shifts that have been identified by our denomination as saying, these are things that we need to do as a church. But as we look at them, what I've been arguing is that actually these are not just things that this church needs to do right now or that this denomination needs to do right now, but this is something that every church, regardless of denomination, regardless of time, probably needs to be engaged in because our natural inclinations are to do the opposite of these things. And so when we're not intentionally doing these things, we fall back into the others. And so each one has what we're going from and what we're going to. And so a couple of weeks ago, we looked at going from clergy-centered to an unleashed laity. Last week, we looked at from going from safety and preservation to risk-taking and expansion. This week, looking at going from a purely attractional model of ministry to a missional and attractional model. From purely attractional to missional and attractional. What in the world is that? What is that talking about at all? I'm glad you asked. Attractional, an attractional model of ministry is basically the idea that uh, if you build it, they will come. You have... Uh, you have... Invitations out there. You have um, various services and events, and you just keep hoping that people will show up. And when they do, then they can hear the gospel. 
but it's always looking at the gospel as a in-here thing for people to come here to hear it. But the gospel isn't an out-there thing. A missional approach is different. A missional approach says the gospel is an everywhere thing. You may have heard the uh, expression, uh, the phrase that has been attributed to C.S. Lewis, although it doesn't appear in any of his writings, where he says, uh, supposedly, that uh, he says, you do not have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body. Now, you think about that one, and probably a little fine-tuning that needs to happen there to be entirely accurate, but it's helpful to think about because usually we think about our bodies first and our souls second. In the same way, uh, I bring it up because it has also been said, the church doesn't have a mission. God's mission has a church. And when we think about it that way, it's very different. We looked last week at a story uh, about a a life-saving station where they were saving people and then every time you know, time would pass and the life-saving station would become more like a club and they would forget that that's what they were actually about was saving lives. And so it ended with you know, the people still are shipwrecked but now most of them drown. Well, today I have another story along similar lines. This one's about uh, the oil refinery. Once upon a time, it's not a true story. Once upon a time, some visitors took a tour of an oil refinery, and a tour guide showed them all the intricacies of the refining process. The vast catalyst uh, chambers, the pipes, the heating vats, everything that went into the refining of oil. As the tour ended, one of the visitors asked the tour guide a simple question. Sir, you showed us everything except the shipping department. This size oil refinery processes a huge amount of petroleum, turning it into gasoline and lubricants, but you haven't showed us where it's all put into containers and shipped out to the world. Well, you see, said the tour guide, we don't have a shipping department. Everything that is produced in this refinery is used up as energy to keep the refinery going. That is not the purpose of a refinery produce enough to keep itself going, but it is to ship it out to the world. As we looked, I keep grabbing the wrong things, as we looked at Abraham in Genesis, we see God choosing Abraham and saying he was going to make a name for him, he was going to make a nation out of him. I love that uh, before we even meet Abraham and what God tells him, we find out a little bit about him. And one of the things we find out is that his wife can't have children. And so it looks like, when we first meet him, that the two of them will be the end of that line. And then God takes this person, this person who in and of themselves has no hope, and says, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. Because it's about what God is doing. But beyond that, he also says that uh, I will... Get the wording right here. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. And that through you, all the 
uh, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. In other words, God has chosen Abram from everybody else. And he says, I choose you, and I'm going to bless you. But it doesn't end there. In fact, the blessing to Abram is not specifically just for Abram, but it is that through Abram, the whole world will be blessed. This is the same thing that we see when Jesus calls his disciples. And he calls to him uh, people and says, come, follow me. And he doesn't say, come, follow me, and I will give you eternal life. He says, come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. We see uh, that that's exactly what he does as we go through the life of Jesus with his disciples, that they do spend time with him. And yes, he does say he is the resurrection, and he is the life, and that he is the living water, and he is the bread of life, and all these things. But as far as their calling with him, it's not just to receive these things and then to go on using them just on your own, like the oil refinery. It says you receive these things as a gift, but in order to be a blessing to the world. And so then what we read in John, where Jesus says, uh, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. That the church is to be understood as a sent people. Those who are called, but also who are sent into the world with the, uh, the message of Jesus. All right, that brings us back to Pentecost. But then we have these disciples who are there, who are waiting for the Holy Spirit, because as Jesus has already told them, apart from me, you can do nothing. But with them, look what happens. There's a loud, attractional noise. I say attractional because it was loud enough, something was going on, that everybody gathered around and said, what is going on? And so right there, in that moment... You know, Peter gets up. He's already got an audience. He didn't have to go looking for people. They, God has brought them right there. And all he has to do is stand up and say, let me tell you about Jesus. And so the attractional side of things that we don't want to lose is the always asking the question, who is it that God is bringing to us that we can share the good news of Jesus with them? The missional side of things is not only who is God bringing to us, the missional side is who is God sending us to? Now, it's easy to have sort of a differentiation. In the same way we looked a couple weeks ago at clergy-centered versus uh, an unleashed laity, and we have this uh, division, and we say, well, that's the things that pastors do, that's not the things that everybody else does. So, not as much a distinction there as you might first think. The same uh, tendency is true when we think about missionaries. And we think missionaries are the ones that God sends to go reach the whole world. Is it um, Jesus says in Acts 1.8 says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You take that right along with the, the end of Matthew, 
when he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You take these two together, and there's probably not a missionary alive that doesn't know those by heart. Because that is what is beating in their chest, is God has called us to go to the world and to take his message and to make disciples of all nations. The problem is, that's, those aren't passages for missionaries, exclusively. They are for missionaries, but they're actually for all disciples. They're for all Christians. You say, no, wait, wait, wait a second. Are you telling me I'm getting ready to have to go to Africa? No. No. The question, though, is, who is God sending you to? Maybe he is sending you to Africa. He does do that. He sends some people there. He sends people all over the world. He sends people as far as, sometimes as far as Christoval. (laughs) Or Sonora. Or San Angelo. Sometimes even as far away as El Dorado. When you look at what Jesus says, as you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, do you know how far away El Dorado, Texas is from Jerusalem where all this started? We don't have to go from here somewhere far away. We're already far away from where all this began. We are the missionaries that God has placed here to reach the people who are here. The question is, what is our message? What is our message? What is it that God has sent us to this place at this time to tell people? That's where you look a little bit farther through Acts. Let's see. When Peter stands up, he has some people who are saying, what does this mean? And others who are making fun of him. And he stands up and he says, no, to those of you who are making fun of us, they're not drunk. It's only nine in the morning. Later in the day I could understand the confusion, but no, not now. This is God pouring out his spirit, so he explains what that is. And then in verse 22 he begins, really, with fellow Israelites, listen to this. Listen to this. This is where the real message, the heart of the message comes in. The next word is Jesus. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus. And he goes on to explain who Jesus is, how God had sent him, and how he had died and was raised again. And he said, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. This is our message. That Jesus is the one that God has sent, and Jesus is the one who died for us and was raised again in power and is the one who is the Lord. He is the Messiah. He is the King over everything. And that ought to at least clue us in to the fact that this message cannot just be for in here. If Jesus really is the Lord over everything... Over everything... And that includes everything, everywhere we go, everyone we talk to, every conversation we're a part of, the way that we spend our money, the way that we spend our time, the way we spend our work hours, the way we spend our leisure time. 
It affects everything. If Jesus really is the king over everything. Now we see throughout the entire rest of the book of Acts the people going from Jerusalem into these other areas. I want to point out one of them. We talked a week or two ago about uh, Stephen, the first martyr, who was uh, who was killed. We say the word martyr is the, though that is understood that that's somebody who's killed for their faith, but the actual word itself comes from the word that just means witness. That's somebody who was testifying to what they knew about who Jesus was. And because when people would tell people about Jesus, they would so often get killed, that now that's one and the same in our vocabulary. But he was the first one. And on that day, and this is in uh, chapter 8 in the book of Acts, Stephen is killed. Saul approves of their killing him. And it says, On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. We see already it's happening. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. And listen to this. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. They preached the word wherever they went. And if you look through the whole rest of the book of Acts, that's what you see. is person after person operating out of the Spirit of God who is leading them from place to place, from person to person, from encounter to encounter, in all kinds of, of bizarre variety of circumstances. But the message is always Jesus. And even when they're fleeing the persecution in Jerusalem, they don't say, well, we've got to get away from this, this is dangerous, and let's not ever do that again, because that'll get us into trouble. No. They go away from there, and everywhere they go, they keep on doing the same thing. They continue to share the message of Jesus. One more. from Acts chapter 11. This is just another example of the same thing. Peter has gone to Cornelius' house. Another one of those examples of him going and sharing Jesus, even with those they'd never thought about sharing Jesus with before. Those who are very different from him. The message is Jesus. And then in Acts 11, 19, it says, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word. Only among Jews. Some of them, however, Men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. The church does not have a mission. God's mission 
God is reconciling the world to himself in Jesus Christ. That mission has a church. We are that church. But are we on that mission? There are a lot of good things that we can do that aren't a part of that mission. And all of those need to be reevaluated in light of the mission God has a church for. Every week, almost every week, we have the same benediction at the end of the service. That the living Lord would go with us everywhere we go. That he would be the one encouraging us. That he would be the one befriending us as we engage in ministry. Wherever we are. That he'd be the one watching out for us and within us. And that he would be the one leading us. So when we walk out these doors, we don't leave the gospel behind and go back to regular life. But we go out as the church. When we come in, we're the church gathered. When we go out, we're the church scattered into the world to be salt and light to those who are taking the message of Jesus to the world that needs to hear it. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now to stand.